0: Among the many reasons for hope brought to you by this podcast, today we'd like to open with something a bit more out of the ordinary, but something we're really excited about. Email made by and for Catholics. It's called Fide Email. That's F-I-D-E-I, the Latin word meaning of faith. Fide has unique plans for Catholic individuals, families, organizations, and groups. They offer email, calendars, cloud storage, and collaborative documents, and something tells us that they're just getting started private, secure, and of course, Catholic. FIDE email, www.fide.email. Hello, and
1: welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I am your host, Mario Costabile, and I am very excited that you're listening in today. Array of Hope has been pretty busy these past few months, producing films, music, and events but these podcasts are different for us. It gives us an opportunity to tackle deeper topics and subjects about our faith and church. Today, our podcast episode is called What's the Devil's Strategy? Now, this is a pretty interesting title. Interesting because it's implying he's up to something. Strategy for what? And why is it a strategy? And and what is he planning? Well, whether you believe it or not, there are evil forces in the world. Forces that thrive and enjoy instigating chaos, addiction, sadness, confusion, divorce, suffering. The list goes on and on and on. Hey, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, hey, Mario, are all bad things in the world because of the devil? Well, he's involved in a lot of it. The devil is constantly pushing us in directions that will pull us away from God, which in turn moves us toward a life of unfulfillment and a lack of meaning and purpose. Now, I need to clarify something. This is only my opinion and what I've experienced in my own life. I'm not a specialist in this area or a psychologist, but I have witnessed temptation and the result of making bad decisions that were rooted in fear, greed, or a position of selfishness. Now looking back, I could see how something evil or the devil himself wanted me to fail or distance myself from God. Because God wants me to experience joy and happiness and the devil does not. Because the devil seeks to destroy and separate us from God, all Catholics must be on guard. That's why this episode today is pretty important. Our guest today is a specialist. He is Father Vincent Lampert. So welcome to A Reason for Hope, and here we go. Hope can last forever. So Dave, how are you today? I'm good, Mario. All right. Very, ex- <laughs> very excited today. I don't know what it is. It's something in the air. <laughs>
2: Spring? <laughs> it, uh, it could be spring. It wasn't <laughs> there a
1: Phil Collins tune in the 80s? Uh, something in the air? Something in I can the air fe- tonight. I can, yeah. I can
2: feel something in the air tonight. Yeah, but it wasn't really a positive. It's kind of a dark song.
1: Was it a dark song? Well, yeah. I'm not feeling dark today. I'm feeling kind of up. But we're
2: talking about the devil and his strategy. How come you're not feeling dark today? Maybe I should get put on my dark mode. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's play that song in the background. Yeah. That drum part. <laughs> du-dun, 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 du-dun. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're right. It was, it was kind of a dark song now that yeah. I think about it. It was a cool song, though. I know Jimmy likes that part. So um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on here at Ray Hope. How about things at the on the home front?
2: Uh, we're doing okay. Yeah, yeah. The, um, Ben is a senior and uh, he's finishing up, going to Franciscan University. Oh, in the wonderful! So Congratulations! We're excited by that. He's going to play soccer. Wow. Um, yep, and then you know, just trying to ride out the rest of the homeschool year great. Shannon's already planning next year. So this is around the time of year when we start getting boxes and boxes of books in the mail because she's purchasing items for next school year. We're going to, we start up kind of in the summer. So, Mm. so we don't take a whole summer off. Yeah.
1: Well, we're, we're sort of like winding down, I guess, a little bit here at Ray of Hope. You know, pretty soon we'll go on our summer hiatus and, and try to, prepare for the fall but we've been really busy uh, we're back doing live events which is really awesome. exciting for us uh, Rise Up Live is doing well as we release them You know, every other week, uh, which is an exciting show. If you haven't seen it, folks, you got to check that out on our channel and, and building our channel has been so much, so much work, but very fulfilling and exciting just to see it grow. So there's a lot of good stuff. Um, but it's funny, uh, whenever we do something that is exciting and really proclaiming the gospel loud and clear, uh, there's always these demonic evil forces that prowl. Right? <laughs> nice. And and I, and I say that only because uh, we've experienced it here at Array of Hope. Equipment will fail, things that always work won't work. I remember when we do Array of Hope concerts, you know, screens won't work, sound systems fail. I mean, it's crazy, but we, we've kind of gotten... You know, used to it and and expect it, uh, which leads us to this episode actually, which we're going to be talking about that. Uh, but we have really make a point here at Array of Hope to always pray the Saint Michael prayer and and really to uh, to shun the evil forces, so we can really do our work.
2: Yeah, the Saint Michael the Archangel prayer is great. Yeah. I really think that we should be praying that a lot, especially in these days, um, and praying for protection against the devil. And his mm. demons is is I think very important for families. I mean, uh, certainly the Saint Michael the Archangel prayer, but also praying to Saint Joseph yes. under the title Terror of Demons. Right. Um, he's also the protector of the church, mm-hmm. and uh, he's the protector of the domestic church, the family. So, so he's important to uh, invoke yeah. and ask for his intercession. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, asking Our Lady to wrap us in yes. in her mantle. You know, these are all I think really key practices Mm -hmm. um, in these difficult times for families, especially.
1: Well, our topic today, Dave, is what's the devil's strategy? Um, Our guest today is well-known priest and exorcist, Father Vincent Lampert. And this was really an amazing interview that I can't wait for you guys to check it out. Uh, But do you have any thoughts about the devil and how he tries to attack us, Dave?
2: Sure. Well, a good place to start is the compendium of the catechism of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Basically, what the compendium is, for those who don't know, the catechism of the Catholic Church is really thick, Mm -hmm. very wordy, kind of geared theologically to a higher level. Um, So, what, what the Vatican did was produced a shorter summary, but put it in question and answer format with like the paragraphs off on the side. So, if you wanted to go to the to the full catechism and read more, you could. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the compendium is great. And in compendium number 74, uh, when treating the fall of the angels, it states that the devil and his demons try to associate human beings with their revolt against God. Mm-hmm. So, the first rebel who uh, tradition tells us got a third of the angels to fall along with him. Um, the first rebel is trying to get us to rebel and, uh, and to do this, he has to have a strategy because like he has to lead us down a particular way of thinking in order to get us to rebel. He's not going to get us to rebel by just turning truth on his head or, or proposing something to us that just seems preposterous or, or over the top that we wouldn't really want to do. He's got to get us sort of like moving in a particular direction. And, uh, And he wants to exploit our vulnerable spots, and he knows what they are. Not just humanity's vulnerable spots, but our specific ones. So uh, I think a good analogy is the analogy of fishing. So if we think about the devil as fishing for us, what are some things that we could pull? Um, Well, the first thing, if you're going to fish, you need to choose the right place to fish. In this regard, You know, Satan knows where the fish are, meaning he knows where you're vulnerable, where you're weak, what your temptations are. Um, Mm. He knows where to go fishing with you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's first. Uh, Secondly, you need to be really quiet when you go fishing. If you make a lot of noise, you might scare the fish away. Yeah. And so you've got to be quiet and unassuming. Um, and, And that's important, too, because... Satan is very quiet. He sort of sneaks his way around. A serpent is a good image for, for the devil because of that kind of sly, sneaky, slithery way that snakes tend to be. Mm. And you don't even really necessarily know they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's important to recognize that the, the, the devil is not going to come out with a lot of fanfare. He's going he's to slip in the back door, you know? Um, third you have to choose the right bait you need to pick a bait that is either like looks like the kind of food that is delicious to the to the fish um or is shiny and sparkly and catches its attention somehow um but the thing is you can't let on like so whatever the bait is it's got to be so so realistic so attractive that it's almost undetectable some, honest, yeah it's, it's right it's unassuming right right yeah. mm-hmm. um, and it's interesting too because when you cast your line you're you cast your line and then you slowly like reel the line in but you do it like in spurts and little jerks here and there to make it look real mm. instead of you know just moving very quickly and and, and Satan does this too he makes what is evil look like it's good, and what is good look like it's evil. Mm. And he even does this, if you remember in the Garden of, of uh, Eden, when he's tempting Adam and Eve, that he gets them to think that God isn't on their side, that somehow right. they lose trust in God, they're they're growing suspicious of God, and he kind of leads them down that way of thinking. hmm um, so, what is good he makes look evil, but on the other hand, he makes what is evil look good, you know right? No, the tree is great, it's gonna give you knowledge that you don't have, you know, and God knows it and and so you should eat from that tree because then you'll be like god's like so there's these ways in which he works where he picks just the right bait mm-hmm. and he makes it look like it's something you want. He's clever, you know. Um, And then, of course, he hooks you fast. The minute you're on, he pulls you up and out, right? He throws you into the net. And that's often how we can feel when we give in to temptation and we sin. We feel ensnared Mm -hmm. now. And once we sin, it becomes all the easier to sin in the particular way that we've sinned. You know, and I think that that's also very important to know, to try to encourage people to stay away from making the choice to sin, because once you do it, it's hard not to do it again. And even if you kind of put in your mind, I'm not going to fall for it the next time, now you've experienced it, and now it's just easy to fall into the trap. So... I think the devil has this kind of way of working with us, which is very strategic and very cunning, not unlike the way somebody who's fishing tries to catch a fish. It's a great analogy. Um,
1: It really depicts the—I hate to use this word when associating it to the devil, but he is brilliant. He knows our weaknesses. He knows— what we're attracted to. He knows what tempts us and 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 uh, lures us towards sin. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's important uh, that we're aware of that. And I think most Catholics, um, most people just think that the devil is not real. So I think it's important that we're aware of it so we can really protect ourselves and fight against the devil's temptations. Well, and
2: I think that that's the point, right? So... The devil knows what our weaknesses are, so it's important for us to know what our weaknesses are. That's right. The the devil knows what will attract us, mm-hmm. so it's important for us to know what we have a tendency to be attracted by or tempted by. Um, the devil is clever and sneaks and is subtle and tries to give truth a little twist. If we know that, then we we're careful about just accepting everything on the face of it as being the way we think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that it's, if you don't believe the devil's real and you don't think he's out to get you, you're not going to guard yourself and that's exactly what he wants. Mm-hmm. Hmm? yeah. It's exactly what he wants. Right. And so we need to be one step ahead one step ahead of the one who prowls mm-hmm. around like a roaring lion, waiting for someone to devour. Yeah, and this interview
1: with Father Lampert is just incredible. So it, it w- really will create a lot of awareness as to the the reality of the devil. Not to scare our listeners and viewers, but it's real, you know. Yeah. And, and we'd be foolish not to think
2: that it wasn't. That's right. This is great, great little uh, discussion, Dave. Awesome, and uh, enjoy that interview which is going to be eye-opening. Yeah,
0: peace, peace. Among the many reasons for hope brought to you by this podcast, today we'd like to talk about Catholics supporting Catholics, specifically a Catholic-run technology company that is providing sane alternatives to big tech. It's called Fide Email, that's F-I-D-E-I, the Latin word meaning of faith. They have unique plans for Catholic individuals, families, organizations, and groups. They offer email, calendars, cloud storage, and collaborative documents, and something tells us they're just getting started. If you're a business and need to keep your domain, they'll help with that. And if you always thought it would be great to have an email that reflects your business, FeedA can help you acquire a domain and they'll set up everything for you. Migration to Feeday is easy and all your email IDs stay the same. Or if you're just interested in a personal email, imagine getting one without having to add a bunch of random numbers to it just to find something unique. Imagine not having to use a service run by a company who actively works to undermine Catholic culture. Feeling hopeful yet? Why don't you head on over to Feeday.email and learn more about this wonderfully hopeful service. They're private, secure, and, of course, Catholic. FIDE email, www.fide.email.
3: Hey, guys. It's Mariama here with Who's That Saint, where I give you three clues on one saint for you to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? Clue one. The fifth of seven children born to a devout Catholic family in 17th century France. This saint spent much of their youth sickly and suffered much under her father's family who had moved into her home after her father died. Who's that saint? Clue two. No doubt did the trials of her early life prove fruitful for her spiritual life as she was allowed to receive her first communion at the young age of nine years old as opposed to the normal, 12 years old. This gift of faith led her to enter into the order of the Visitation Sisters at the age of 24. Who's that saint? I think I gave you a few more hints in the second one, so hopefully by now you're screaming in your car who that saint is. If not, don't worry. I have one more clue for you. Clue three. Three years into her time in the convent, this saint began receiving revelations from Christ about his most sacred heart. Like many others entrusted with such special graces, this saint was faced with much pushback, including claims that she was experiencing delusions. Eventually, these revelations were believed after much scrutiny and led to what we now have as the devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus. Last chance, who's that saint? If you guessed St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, then you would be correct. I must be honest with you, I didn't know much about St. Margaret until I began to look into the devotion to Christ's most sacred heart. However, it's a beautiful devotion, and I encourage each of us to look into this devotion, which holds many promises made by Christ to those of us who honor it. And lastly, to finish off, I would like to read an excerpt from a letter of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque itself. The sacred heart of Christ is an inexhaustible fountain And its sole desire is to pour itself out into the hearts of the humble so as to free them and prepare them to lead lives according to his good pleasure. This divine heart is an abyss filled with all blessings, and into the poor should submerge all their needs. It is an abyss of joy in which all of us can immerse our sorrows. It is an abyss of lowliness to counteract our foolishness, an abyss of mercy for the wretched, an abyss of love to meet our every need. Are you making no progress in prayer? Then you need only offer God the prayers which the Savior has poured out for us in the sacrament of the altar. Offer God His fervent love and reparation for your sluggishness. In the course of every activity, pray as follows. My God, I do this or I endure that in the heart of your Son and according to His holy counsels. I offer it to you in reparation for anything blameworthy or imperfect in my actions. Continue to do this in every circumstance of life, but above all, preserve peace of heart. This is more valuable than any treasure. In order to preserve it, there is nothing more useful than renouncing your own will and submitting for it the will of the divine heart. In this way, His will can carry out for us whatever contributes to His glory— and we will be happy to be His subjects and to trust entirely in Him. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, pray for us.
1: Ooh, who's that who's
0: that Hi, everyone. This is Jack Arno, Array of Hope's Director of Music and Audio Production, here with you again for another Music Corner We've been talking a great deal about our band's trip to Nashville, Tennessee, and recording at Oceanway Studios. I'd like to continue sharing glimpses of our Nashville material in post-production. This time, excerpts from our live Praise and Worship evening session. We recorded three of our unreleased praise and worship songs together, live, in the same room, at the same time, alongside a very talented string quartet. Today, I'll play you a bit of Heal Our World. This song is all about invoking Jesus' name for, you guessed it, healing in our world. But why do we need healing? As Catholics, we're supposed to know the answer to this. Just a little reflection for you. This past weekend, I was reading C.S. Lewis's The Problem of Pain. And he opened up one of the chapters by stating this, Christianity now has to preach the diagnosis of original sin, the bad news, before it can win a hearing for the cure, which is salvation, the gospel message, the good news. I thought this was a very succinct articulation of the current spiritual climate we're in and what it means to be engaged in the new evangelization like we are here at A Ray of Hope. We're fallen human beings, there's no way around it. We can try and fool ourselves and believe otherwise, but lying to ourselves only makes the problem and pain worse. Being that we have a fallen nature due to original sin, we need healing, constant healing. And that is precisely why Jesus came. I think this song, Heal Our World, is so important because it speaks a message of healing through the power of music. And it does so in a way that preaches both the diagnosis, original sin, through inference, and the cure, Jesus, through invoking His holy name and asking Him to dwell in our hearts. We pray that anybody who listens to this song, even those with hardened hearts, may be inspired by the salvation message of the gospel and the call to repentance and holiness. Here's a glimpse of Heal Our World, live from Ocean Way, Nashville.
3: Just
1: everybody, we got some exciting news. We have a whole new Array of Hope app and channel, a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to God. This is available on your desktop, Roku, Apple TV, iPhones, and Android mobile phones and tablets. This channel has movies, short, faith-filled segments, live events, and programs. You've got to check it out. Sign up by going to watch.arrayofhope.net and then download the app at the App Store by just typing in Array of Hope. Father Vincent Lampert is a Catholic priest and a designated exorcist in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. He is one of the few exorcists known to use social media like Twitter on a regular basis. Father Vincent received his Masters of Divinity from the Benedictine monks. He is an amazing person and priest. Let's welcome Father Vincent Lampert. So Father, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on our podcast, A Reason for Hope. It's exciting to have you here. I have a lot of questions. I have to say we've never had an exorcist on our podcast, nor Have brought in an exorcist to to share their ministry and the importance of their ministry. So I'm excited to talk to you today. So uh, before I start with all that scary stuff, I want to uh, just get a little get to know you a little bit. Um, You know, I'm sure uh, there was a time in your life when you weren't a priest, right?
4: Yes, I've actually this year will be my 31st anniversary of ordination. I was ordained on June the 1st of 1991. Great. Grew okay. up in, in grew up in Indianapolis. Product of Catholic schools and a family of deep faith. I'm one of nine children. Wow. I have six brothers, six brothers and two sisters. Wow. So yeah.
1: So uh, and by the way, that was just a a joke because I know there was a time when you were in a priest. <laughs> uh, so so your upbringing uh, as a child, you were around a very devout family and parents. Is that sort of your background?
4: Yes. In fact, my mother was a convert, so my oh, wow. mother was not raised Catholic. Okay. She became Catholic when okay. my parents got married. Wow. So uh, it, there was an intentional
1: an intentionality uh, in your mom specifically because she chose the Catholic faith and wanted to raise her children Catholic, I guess, right?
4: Yeah. She never liked the term convert. She always said that being a convert means you were nothing and then you became something. <laughs> so she uh, she always preferred to say that she was always Catholic, she just didn't know it. As you grew up uh, and became a teacher, uh, rather a, a teenager, uh,
1: was there ever a moment where you kind of had ownership of your faith, where you really felt God, uh, where he touched your heart, touched your soul, where, where you really experienced the beauty and love of Christ?
4: Definitely, you know, when after high school, uh, I attended Catholic high school in Indianapolis, Cardinal Ritter High School. I had always thought about becoming a priest, the seeds of uh, vocation were planted by the religious sisters, the sisters of Saint Francis of Oldenburg in Indiana. Oh wow, beautiful! Who taught me? Who taught me many of my grades growing up? But after high school, went off to Indiana University to study political science, and then after two years in IU, uh, kind of had that really spiritual reawakening after a, a close friend died of a brain tumor, and it was really a say what does god really want me to do with my life and then that notions of a vocation to the priesthood kind of uh, came back into the forefront i mm. transferred out of iu and and transferred to saint meinrad seminary in southern indiana which is operated by the benedictine monks and then i was able to graduate college there and then from there i went on to graduate studies at the at mundelein seminary the university of saint mary of the lake up in uh, mundelein illinois in the northern suburbs of Chicago. And then, as I said earlier, then I was ordained in 1991.
1: So, Father, you started out as a diocesan priest, but the million-dollar question is, how do you go from a diocesan priest to an exorcist?
4: <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm a diocesan priest for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And then in 2005, the Archbishop of Indianapolis appointed me to be the exorcist. So the Archdiocese of Indianapolis has always had a priest appointed to this ministry, even when it fell out of practice in many dioceses across the country after the Second Vatican Council. Indianapolis has always had a priest appointed to this role. Ironically, the priest that had the job, we might say, was the uh, pastor of the parish where I attended grade school in Indianapolis. So Monsignor John Ryan was the exorcist, pastor of St. Anthony in Indianapolis. I attended grade school there. He passed away in July of 2005, and then the Archbishop was looking for a replacement. I jokingly tell people I got the job because I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. So I was having a meeting with the Archbishop, and he happened to say to me that he was going to appoint me to this role, and then he wanted me to, uh, to get training. At the time, there weren't very many stably appointed exorcists in the United States. Hmm. I believe back in 2005, there may have been only 12 in the United States. And so I was planning to be on sabbatical in Rome in the early part of 2006. And the archbishop told me while in Rome, he wanted me to research the topic and then to see if I could connect with an exorcist priest in the city of Rome who would allow me to mentor under him. The Church says the best way for a priest to be trained is through an apprenticeship model, to find a seasoned exorcist and then kind of shadow and work with him, and then to learn firsthand the ministry of uh, the Church in helping those who are up against extraordinary demonic activity. So I did find a Franciscan priest in Rome. He was pastor of St. Lawrence Parish outside the walls, mm. Father Carmen Father de Philippus, and he permitted me to sit in on 40 exorcisms that he performed during the three months that I lived in Rome.
1: Wow, wow. Um, That's uh, quite a journey, right? And I'm sure, (laughs) uh, you know, obviously you're gonna be in a good priest and you are accepting, you'll be obedient to someone asking you to do something such as this, which is very extraordinary Mm -hmm. and different from most priests, I I would think. Um, And, you know, you mentioned the word devil. most people are disconnected from it. They they believe it's a myth, or they're not sure if it's real, or they mm-hmm. really don't think about it. Uh, but you, being an exorcist, I'm sure you have a quite a different thought or uh, belief of that. Maybe you could share with our viewers and our listeners, um, you know, what your I hate to say you know day to day routine is, but what, what, is, <laughs> what is what is what does an exorcist do? Uh, and how can you validate that someone is demonically taken over? You know, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 how do you do? How do you heal that person?
4: Yeah, I think it's important for everyone to realize that the church teaches that evil is personified in what we call the devil and his demons. You know, there are a lot of people, as you suggest, that might say that evil is nothing more than humanity's inhumane treatment of one another. But even uh, Pope St. Paul VI back in 1972, in one of his Wednesday audiences, he began to speak about the devil and made it very clear that the devil is not just some abstract idea, but again, evil is personified in what the, the church calls the devil and his demons. You know, as an exorcist, I'm also the pastor of two parishes in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. So in addition to doing this ministry, which probably takes up 50 percent of my time. Mm-hmm. The fact the fact that I'm publicly known means that I receive a higher volume of people asking for help. Mm-hmm. Prior to COVID-19, I was getting about 2,000 phone calls and emails and letters a year from people literally all over the world who were seeking help from the church. Mm-hmm. These aren't just Catholics. They are people that come from other Christian faith backgrounds, other world religions, Some no faith background whatsoever. But again, since COVID 19, I now get 3,500 calls and emails and letters every year from people. Wow. Which says that there's a lot of people out there that are suffering, they're hurting, perhaps, you know, they're dealing with the demonic, perhaps they're dealing with a physical or a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. The church views exorcism ministry as a ministry of charity. So the church would always want to provide help and guidance to people who believe that they are being afflicted by, by the evil one. Here in the United States, there is a protocol that we follow. You know, the person is required to have some type of a psychiatric, uh, you know, checkup. They, they're required to have a physical examination because the church wants to make sure that this is truly something demonic and that it's not a mental health issue or physical condition. So the church will ask experts in these these fields to weigh in on the area. It's not that the church is asking these experts if they believe someone is possessed. The church herself will make that judgment, but the church wants the best possible information. Mm -hmm. And then, because in many ways I'm trained to be a skeptic, I need to reach moral certitude, meaning beyond a doubt the person in front of me is truly dealing with extraordinary demonic activity. And I always have believed that if the Church were to label someone as being possessed, and that label prevents the person from getting the true help they need from the mental health profession or from the medical field, Mm -hmm. then the Church would end up doing greater harm than good. Mm -hmm. And even when the Church requires people to see these experts, it isn't that the Church necessarily is doubting what they're going through. But the truth is that if somebody is going, is truly dealing with the demonic, They need to be in a strong mental state to go through the rite of exorcism. So it can be viewed as a positive step as well for someone who may truly be possessed.
1: Wow. Um, maybe you could share a little bit about the importance of, uh, the average Catholic or average person to give credence that the devil is real. Um, there's a lot of disbelief regarding that the devil doesn't exist or it's a, it's a fallacy. Like I said before, it's just a legend or something that people mm-hmm. made up. Um, how can it help us as Catholics to understand that there's a, a force out there that wants us to fail, that wants us to sin? Uh, And how could that improve us to be better Catholics as a result of understanding that?
4: Ultimately, people need to realize the devil is is nothing to fear. You know, the devil's goal would be to have us as humans fall into the same trap, being alienated from God for all eternity. So the, the devil, in many ways, could actually be used in our favor because evil is a reality makes us realize the importance of having a relationship with god in our lives oftentimes the devil prefers to act in a very subtle way many people might be might remember the uh the famous quote from the 19th century philosopher charles pierre Baudelaire that the devil's cleverest ruse is to convince people that he does not exist right so the devil does want to work in the shadows Mm -hmm. he loves it when people doubt his existence because then he's able to to do his work of trying to unravel society. You know, one of my favorite definitions of the church is that the church is the guardian to the tree of life. The church is the vehicle that Christ has given us so that we can approach the tree of life mm. and then enter into the presence of God the Father for all eternity. The devil's goal would be to try to destroy the church and then mm. believing that humanity would be permanently trapped in sin as are the devil and his demons. But again, people do need to realize that there is an entity that works against our very redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. And I I love what the word redemption means, by the way. I like to ask people if they know what that word means. Mm -hmm. Redemption literally means to buy back. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus has redeemed us, what is he buying us back from? And it's from original sin when Adam and Eve sold us out in the Garden of Eden, Mm -hmm. when they said no to God, the disobedience. And there's a lot of people today that live with a distorted view of freedom, which suggests that there's three guiding principles, I think, that people live by when they have a distorted view of freedom. You may do whatever you wish, no one has the right to command you, and you are the God of yourself. And literally, that's what the devil would want. You know, The devil wanted to take The place of God, to mimic God, to be like God in all things. And the devil wants to convince us to live that way as well. You look at society today in general, faith is in decline in the lives of Mm -hmm. many people, especially young people who believe that they can live without God. Mm -hmm. But I love the great quote from St. Augustine, you know, where he writes that God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they rest in God. So the human person, I believe, has the innate desire for God, And when we don't foster that relationship, we literally have an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. We don't know who we are or whose we are. And ultimately, that's what the devil would want. He would want to create confusion.
3: And the devil does
4: believe by attacking the human person. And the human person is God's greatest creation because we are created in the image and likeness of God. So we have the divine image. And the devil believes that by attacking the human person, he is in an indirect way attacking God Himself.
1: Yes, yes, and and I want to, and I want to expand on that a little bit. So, I mean, obviously, um, when we have a desire to grow closer to Christ, to become better Catholics, um, we're moving in a direction that the devil does not want us to move in. So he attacks us. Uh, he uh, he infiltrates uh, our sense of, of of love and connection with God. He tempts us. Uh, there's all kinds of. Uh, things and tricks that the devil uses to pull us away from God. I know that you're just running a ray of hope. Uh, we're often attacked when we're, when we're doing good work, things have our equipment fails and, you know, uh things don't work out. I mean, it's, it's in a barrage of events and we've gotten to the point now we, we kind of almost anticipate the devil or the demonic to show mm-hmm. up. I, you know, I throw holy water all over the studio. We do the, the prayer to St. Michael, the archangel, um, but we know what is to be expected. So maybe you could advise our viewers and listeners, you know, to, to, to create an awareness that whenever we're trying to do good, whenever we're trying to avoid sin, the devil shows up. And, and what are the tools that you would recommend to the average Catholic as to how we could fight off the devil and become stronger spiritually?
4: It's important for people to realize the devil tries to attack us in two ways. You know, the devil's attacks can be extraordinary or they can be ordinary. When it comes to extraordinary demonic activity, there can be demonic infestation, the presence of evil in a location or associated with an object, demonic vexation, which are physical attacks, demonic obsession, which are mental attacks. The devil's literally trying to get inside of someone's head, and then demonic possession, whereby the devil or one of his demons would take control of a person's body, treating that body as if it were its own. For example, using the person's mouth to speak, their eyes to see, their ears to hear. Most people don't ever have to worry about extraordinary demonic activity, but people do need to understand how the devil tries to trip us up in the ordinary circumstances of our daily lives. And when it comes to the ordinary demonic activity I like to believe that he has a four-stage plan of attack. The words all begin with the letter D. It begins with deception. It leads to division, which leads to diversion, mm-hmm. which leads to discouragement. Mm-hmm. So deception, the devil wants us to buy into his lies. Right. And when we buy into the lies of the devil, God would want us to repent. But when we don't repent, it leads to division. We find our lives broken and shattered. And when we're broken and shattered, God would want us to repent. But when we don't repent it leads to diversion we look for a substitute for god we recognize that we are empty on the inside people may turn may turn to addictive behavior you think of drugs or alcohol pornography people want to fill that emptiness inside of themselves and thinking that that's going to make them whole and complete but ultimately only god can do that Mm -hmm. so when people have traveled through deception which has led to division which has led to diversion They finally arrive at discouragement. And I I believe there are far many people today that are discouraged than they are depressed, because people have lost a sense of meaning and purpose and direction in their lives. And when we arrive at discouragement, I believe we arrive at a crossroads. One pathway will lead to death, always spiritual. Think of the number of people today who now say they're atheist, even though they grew up in a traditional Christian home. But sometimes that death can be physical, You look at the rising trend of suicide in society where people have just lost their complete sense of direction and identity but -hmm. because we're christians and we're people of hope the other pathway leads to discipleship there's that sense of reawakening i think of john paul ii's you know call for the new evangelization where people need to wake up to the importance of god in their life and begin to foster that relationship again people need to realize that god is always ready to welcome us back. We think of the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son returns to the father and says, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you, I no longer deserve to be called your son, treat me as you would a hired hand. The father listens, but then he doesn't throw it back in his son's face. He knows that his son is in the right place now, and he simply says, let's celebrate. Put a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet, the finest robe, kill the fattened calf. God doesn't care where we've been, he cares where we are. You might think of the good thief on the cross. Jesus says this day you'll be with me in paradise. We don't know what led up to his reason for being crucified, the good thief, but Jesus could look into his heart and see the goodness there. And so I think for people to realize the most important thing that we can do is to just live out the ordinary aspects of our faith. You know, I like to say that if somebody is a Catholic, if you're going to mass, if you're celebrating the sacraments, if you're praying, if you're reading the Bible, the devil is already on the run. Mm. And especially the sacramental life of the church is very powerful. Father Gabriel Amorth, the former chief exorcist in Rome, always would tell people that a good confession is better than an exorcism. Because when we confess our sins, we place them in the hands of God. And once we place them in the hands of God, the devil can no longer use that against us. And going to confession is not about being on a guilt trip. It's about recognizing that the greatest thing we can know in life are not the sins that we commit, but God's love and mercy, because we are all God's children, and we are created in His image and likeness.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's great. That's great uh, food for thought and preparing us, because as you said, I mean, the— the the theme and, and of, of this podcast is the devil's strategy. And you kind of just revealed all his tricks and and how he's trying to, you know, to tempt us and how how he's trying to push us towards sin. Um you know, most of us, uh, you know, think of an exorcist from the movie in the 70s, The Exorcist, right? <laughs> you know, so uh, I guess without getting too sensationalized in, in the description of what you do, but maybe you could share with our viewers and our listeners, you know, what is it like when you're in front of someone that is possessed and um, uh really essentially going face to face in the physical form of of a demonic entity what, what is that like and, and and what do you do to prepare for that
4: let me comment on that by by sharing a story with you so when i was in rome the very first exorcism i set in on i was talking with this uh lady and her husband and the lady father carmen told me was possessed so we're having a conversation And I don't see anything that seems extraordinary to me. So I'm thinking to myself, this can't be too bad. But then Father Carmini walks into the room and he puts a roll of paper towel on a table. He walks back out again. He comes back in again and ties a plastic grocery bag onto the wall radiator. He walks back out again. He comes back in. He has on his brown Franciscan robes. He puts a purple stole on which is a sign of his priestly office. Mm. He has the rite of exorcism in his hand. He picks up holy water and he blesses this lady. As soon as the drops of water hit her forehead, the demon manifested. Her eyes rolled in the back of her head. She wow. began to growl and snarl and foam at the mouth. Oh my gosh. She was thrown out all kinds of obscenities. And I'm looking at this thinking to myself, what in the world has my archbishop gotten me into? But then Father Carmine just very calmly reached over, tore off a paper towel, wiped the lady's mouth off, threw it in the plastic bag, and continued to pray. Wow. It was a very teachable moment because what he was saying, don't look at what the devil is doing, look at what God wants to do. And in an exorcism, the focus Mm. should always be on God because the devil is like a a child throwing a temper tantrum. He wants to focus and attention to be on him. That's why some of the manifestations, the eyes roll in the back of the head, foaming at the mouth. Uh, I've seen all kinds of crazy things over the years, the 17 years that I've done this. I've seen demons manifest where the person's body will drop to the floor and slither across the floor like a snake. I've seen levitations. I've seen body contortions that just seem to be completely impossible. Demons staring at me with this hideous look. I did an exorcism one time when the demon manifested. The person's eyeballs turned green and their pupils became slanted like a serpent. And then this very deep, authoritative voice came out and told me, You can't get rid of us. We've been here too long and you're not strong enough. But all of these things are meant to instill fear. And I would have to say that, you know, early on in the ministry, just. Being new, the first exorcism I did when the demon manifested, I'm thinking, Where in the world's Father Carmine? Where's my backup? <laughs> but then realized it, it's me. And my backup really is the power and the authority of the church. Wow. Which is why one of the very powerful parts of the rite of exorcism is the litany of the saints, invoking our Blessed Mother mm. and calling on the saints of the church to come and be present mm. in this prayer of the church. Yeah. So then I realized it's never just me by myself. Yeah. Even, even Father Carmeny told me if I'm ever doing an exorcism and begin to think to myself, "Wow, look at what I'm doing," he said, "You just walked on unholy ground because it's not what you are doing; it's what God is doing through you. Yeah. Because the priest is acting in persona Christi, yeah. in the person of Christ."
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to emphasize that point you said about the litany of the saints. I met Father uh, Chad Rippender. Uh, Mm -hmm. not too long ago, and I spent uh, some time with him. And uh, obviously, you know, he does exorcism as well. And uh, one of the things that he told me that I found extraordinarily fascinating is that, um, like you had mentioned, you call upon the saints. And he knew and felt certain saints that were there. And I said, really? He goes, well, how do you know that? He says, well, the, the demonic person, the possessed person, would give him signs that only uh certain people would know about a particular saint and he would recognize the saints in the room and and one saint in particular that he said shows up a lot is uh St Padre Pio and uh I, I don't know if you can concur with that but you know he'd say St Padre Pio would really get in there and brawl with these demon guys he was very <laughs> physical just like he was in when he was here on earth right he said another saint that showed up a lot was St John Paul II and he said that St yeah. John Paul would just sit in the corner and just pray we wouldn't get physical, wouldn't get, strictly pray. I mean, it's like, it's amazing. He's not alone, like you had said. You, you draw upon the litany of the saints. You have a whole arsenal of, of, of spiritual holy beings, the saints, and mm-hmm. yourself, and God. I mean, how could you lose? I mean, can you comment to what I just said?
4: Yeah, and the reason these saints are so powerful is because the devil hates obedience to God. So obviously the most powerful would be our Blessed Mother herself. You know, you think of the fall of humanity when Eve said no to God and gave in to temptation. When the Archangel Gabriel comes to our Blessed Mother and says, this is God's plan for you, she responds, let it be done to me according to your words. She says yes to God. The devil hates obedience to God. And when you look at the lives of the saints, you know, initially, maybe they weren't the most holy of people but they did come to turn their lives around and as a result of repenting and saying yes to god that obedience is something that defeats the devil you know people need to realize that ultimately obedience and freedom go hand in hand to truly be free Mm. means to be obedient to god because when we are obedient to god we're living in the manner that god created us to live When you think of people like Padre Pio, St. John Paul II, I agree those are very two powerful saints that are present during exorcisms. But a lot of saints experienced uh, demonic oppression, meaning they God permitted the devil to afflict them, not because they had done anything wrong, but as a particular grace for these men and women to grow in holiness and virtue. You know, Padre Pio, you know, he's one of my favorite saints as well, he used to call the devil Old Bluebeard. <laughs> and in his, there's a little biography called The Devil and the Life of Padre Pio. And uh, Padre Pio writes that one night he was trying to sleep and he heard a lot of noise and rustling in his room. And he looked over in the corner and he saw the devil. And he said, oh, it's only you, Old Bluebeard. I thought it was somebody important. And then he rolled over and went back to sleep. Yeah, right and there. I always wonder how many of us, mm-hmm. if we thought the devil was in our room, could we actually just roll over and go back to sleep? Wow you know, there are people that were oppressed. Job in the Old Testament, God permitted Satan to afflict him. We think of St. Paul himself, you know, the thorn in his flesh, the messenger from Satan sent to torment him to keep him from becoming proud. Padre Pio, you know, St. John Vianney. Again, so many examples of holy men and women because of their obedience to God that God permitted the devil to afflict them just to show their fidelity. Mm. The story of Job, you know, he lost everything, and his wife says to him, you know, curse God and die. And he beats his breast and said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Meaning if things be good, I glorify God. If they be bad, I glorify God. My personal circumstances mean nothing when it comes to God's rightful place in my life. So again, the saints are very powerful. And then I would say, you know, very clearly, The Blessed Mother is a very powerful ally for anyone who believes they're up against the forces of the devil. Mm -hmm. Because in exorcisms, when the Blessed Mother comes, demons flee immediately. Many of them will even say, oh no, not that one, not her. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they can't even say her name. I did an exorcism one time and I commanded the demon to say, hail Mary, full of grace, and then to leave immediately. The demon looked at me and laughed and said, grace of full." Scrambled the words and wouldn't say the name of Mary. But then I commanded the demon to obey me in all things, although an unworthy minister of Christ, to say the words in the order I commanded it to say them, and then to leave immediately. And this demon that had been speaking in his very deep, authoritative voice, the demon, by the way, identified itself as the demon Leviathan, mentioned in the Bible, the great sea monster. And this demon, in a very child's voice, then said, Hail Mary, full of grace. And there was a shriek and the demon was completely gone. One of the things I've noticed over the years to know that a demon has truly been cast out is that once the demon is gone, the person literally begins to have a glow about them. Think of a painting of a saint with a halo around their head. It's not their glory they're radiating, but they're radiating the glory of God. So much so did they unite their will with the will of God. And during my training in Rome, there were a few cases where the demon gave the false impression that it had been cast out, but Father Carmody knew their tricks and he would continue the rite. So one of the ways that I know that the demons aren't trying to give the false impression that they have been cast out is that there is a literally a glow of God around people once demons have been cast out.
1: Wow, that's fascinating, Father. That's that's wonderful. Well, listen, um. You know, our time is up and uh, I thank you so much for, um, you know, sharing your wisdom and your insight and really offering the hope that we need uh, to realize that we're not alone. And when we are tempted to call upon the saints, to call upon our blessed mother, to fight off our temptations, to fight off the struggles, because in the end, we're victorious. Amen, Father?
4: We already know how the story ends. We already know
1: that's right we win god wins and and helps us amen yeah well thank you so much father and, and god bless you and your work and let's continue to pray for one another
4: yes thank you it's been good to be with you today peace
1: well we've come to the end of another podcast and this was some podcast right i'm so glad you were able to join us on this episode i want to remind you to please share this podcast with others let everyone know about what we're doing If you've been blessed by our work, please consider going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.org. Also join us on social media where we keep you connected to our faith through music, videos, and daily reflections. There's lots of great stuff that we share that we want you to experience and see. We also pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day on Instagram at 3 p.m. So please join us as we pray as a universal church. And lastly, go to the Array of Hope channel. There's lots of great stuff up there. And check out our next Rise Up Live show, our Catholic variety show with a lot of fun stuff to enjoy with the entire family. Our guest next time will be Dr. Andrew Swafford, And our theme will be why study theology. This is gonna be very informative. So thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace.